So we've been working our way through the, the letter to the Romans and we got to the end of Romans chapter 8 and then I skipped over to Romans chapter 12 uh, partly because I wanted to connect the indicatives of the first chapters of Romans with the imperatives of the um, second part of Romans. I wanted to show how the gospel that we've been studying and uh, learning about in the opening chapters of Romans relates to the life that we are living, the context that we find ourselves in. Uh, it's practical and we need to think about how to apply it in the midst of all of these realities. So I called the series uh, Applying Gospel Medicine to COVID Sickness. And I've been uh, careful to point out that I'm not talking about how the gospel is going to help us with the actual virus, um, but uh, how it is going to help us and should help us deal with all the secondary effects that COVID has brought into our lives, into our world. And we've been looking at some of those harmful effects, so sometimes more harmful than the disease itself. And so we looked at Romans chapter 12, verse 1, how we've been saved to worship. We're called to sacrifice ourselves to make much of God. And we can't lose sight of that main purpose for which we save. We can't let COVID distract us into mere survival. We are here to make much of God, and that's what we ought to be busy with. Uh, we looked at Romans 12, 2, how we need to resist the pressures of the world um, and saturate our lives and our minds with God's truth. And again, in a world that is you know, constantly changing and, uh, and confusing, and we're not sure what we should do, God's Word is our guide, and it's our light. And we need to make sure we're renewing our minds so that we can understand what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Um, and so we can walk in it. And then we looked at Romans 12, verse 3 to 8. How as believers, we are members one of another. We are interdependent. And God has, has saved us and gifted us and called us to take up a unique place in His church. And uh, the significance of the church and our place in it hasn't changed because of COVID. And so we need to find ways to take up our place and to use our gifts for the building up of the church. That's what we're called to. And then in Romans 12, verses 9 to 13, we saw how God has called us to love others in the church, uh, to build relationships of significance, of eternal significance, that we're not just to get busy doing things. We get, we, we, we're to get busy building relationships with people uh, and building into their lives. Now, the remaining verses in Romans chapter 12, that's what I want to finish out this week, just to close out chapter 12 before we go back to Romans chapter 9. And they all have to do with the very real and significant obstacles that you and I are going to face as we seek to build loving relationships with people. As we seek to build into people's lives, what is it that we're going to face as a result of the fallenness of this world? So you can turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We'll pick up from verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. 
For it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I think that final verse there summarizes not only this paragraph, but the whole chapter. You know, what is the gospel calling us to? It's calling us to a life that will not be overcome by evil in all its various forms, but overcome the evil with good. But specifically in the context of relationships, as it bears uh, on our attempts to take the gospel to people and live it out amongst people. Uh, the World Economic Forum has got a website which lists the following technology trends as a result of COVID. Things that COVID has catapulted um, um, and causing to become more influential and prominent in our society. Online shopping, digital and contactless payment, remote work, distance learning, telehealth, online entertainment, robotics and drones, 5G information and, com and communication technologies. There were two more. But these shouldn't be completely shocking to you, right? You've experienced some of these things. And it's, it's maybe significant to stop and realize eight of the ten um, influences are pulling us away from people. Eight of the ten technologies or uh, changes in our society as, as a result of COVID are creating greater distance between us and other people. That's almost what they're designed to do, and that's certainly their effect. And so, as I've heard, you know, one of the effects of COVID is it's put us into these little bubbles. Uh, and we've reached out to one another only in virtual forms and remained in relative isolation from one another. And even as COVID restrictions have begun to be relaxed, I've heard people expressing the sense of isolation, the sense of estrangement, the sense of loneliness that they felt. And yet at the same time saying they're finding it difficult to enter back into these relationships, back into uh, life as it were. COVID sickness or COVID-related sickness has even made the extroverts amongst us a little bit antisocial. Isn't it so? At some level, we've enjoyed the isolation. At some level, we've come to feel safe in our bubbles. And we've enjoyed the simplicity of a lifestyle that is um, a, a lot lighter on relationships and in some ways, therefore, a lot simpler and easier to deal with. It's true. But the gospel calls us to move out into relationships this is what the message of the gospel is. Jesus Christ left the comforts of heaven to enter the fallenness and the wickedness and the sinfulness and the depravity and the pain and the lostness of our world on a mission to reconcile men and women to God. That is the gospel. And therefore those who are ambassadors of the gospel need to carry that message of God's commitment to reconcile men to him and to one another, and the means by which he's accomplished that in Jesus Christ. The power of the gospel has to be seen not only in its ability to reconcile men to God, but to reconcile people to one another. 
That's where we see what the gospel is accomplishing. They will know, Jesus said, we are Christians by our love for one another. This is how they will know that the gospel has transformed us. As Jesus Christ is formed in us and his character moves out through us and is expressing itself in love that seeks reconciliation. So five obstacles to sowing gospel peace in relationships. That's what this passage has got for us. A number of obstacles, five of them I want to look at. And I want you to consider this this morning. The reality of the difficulty of being a peacemaker. Just how hard it is. Because we've got to recognize as we seek to serve Christ and the gospel, we've got to recognize it is hard. But we're still called to it. And we're given the means to overcome even these obstacles. So the first one here is persecution. Persecution. In verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. So persecution is suffering for doing good. It's when we try to do good, we try to serve another person, we're serving Christ, we're standing up for what is right, we're sharing the gospel with another person, we're confronting sin, and we face backlash as a direct result of that. It's when we move into a relationship trying to represent Christ and His glory and His values, and, and we're trying to do this for the good of this person. We're trying to help them. But somehow they don't see it that way. And they retaliate against us for, for the very good we've been trying to do and the very Christ-likeness we've been showing. That can be hard to accept. If we don't realize that persecution is something that we will face as we seek to serve Christ, then when we face it, we've gonna, we're going to be you know, disorientated and discouraged. And we're going to want to withdraw from relationships because now we're facing heat. Now we're facing difficulty. Now our reputation is being damaged and our comfort is being affected. Or we're going to either withdraw from the relationship totally or we're going to withdraw from serving Christ in it. We're going to stop sharing the gospel or we're going to stop speaking the truth or we're going to stop reaching out in love. And we're going to rather not do that because it's becoming too painful and too difficult. Now, each of these obstacles, there's an external obstacle. There's the persecution that this person is responding to me with. But there's also an internal obstacle that needs to be overcome. And, and this highlights one of the internal obstacles that I face as I seek to move out in, in loving other people. And that is my desire for comfort, my desire for preservation. Very often we get into relationships in the first place because we want something out of them. We want some benefit from this person. We want to be helped. We want to be served. We want to be comforted. We want to get something good out of this relationship. So when nothing good comes out of it, but just the opposite, we feel uncomfortable, we get accused, we find difficulty, then we just say, I'm out of this. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do this. We stop doing what Christ has called us to do in the relationships because we are seeking to preserve ourselves and our comfort. And that's one obstacle we need to overcome internally. 
irrespective of that person, to say, I need to serve Christ and be willing to suffer for that. That's the first obstacle. Second obstacle, context and experience. In verse 15, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. So as we seek to enter into relationships, we're coming from a, two different places. We're coming from two different contexts, two different sets of experiences. And as we come and try and meet this person, they're coming from their own context and their own experience. And that creates a barrier in us coming together in loving relationship, peaceable relationship. He's just received a promotion, and I've just been retrenched. And that makes this meeting difficult. Or the other way around. I've just received a, motion, a promotion and he's been retrenched and now we're getting together for lunch. But the different places we're coming from makes that lunch now feel awkward and difficult. I've just had a baby and she's just had a miscarriage. I've just found out my cancer test is clear and she's just starting chemo on Monday. My son has just come to faith and been baptized. Her son has just left the home and moved in with his boyfriend. We've just bought a new house. And they've just had their house repossessed. And that makes it difficult. I've just passed my exam, cum laude, and he has just failed and must repeat the year. And we're coming together in relationship from such different backgrounds. And these different backgrounds form an obstacle, the disparity between our context and our experience makes it hard um, to come together in genuine love and unity and peace. Even if we originally come together in some sort of relationship because of some shared experience, over the long haul in life, life takes us in different directions and that creates greater and greater obstacles to us continuing in this relationship which is harder? Which is harder for the parent who's just celebrated their son's 21st birthday to go to the house of mourning in a family that's just lost their son in a car accident? Or is it harder for that family that have just lost their son in a car accident to go and celebrate the 21st birthday of this family? To rejoice with those who rejoice or to weep with those who weep, which is harder? Well, there's some measure of uh, empathy when we are also the ones weeping, when we are also the ones rejoicing and we go to people that are rejoicing and we can uh, rejoice together. But it's hard to have empathy. It's hard to enter into someone's experience and context when it's very different from our own. And life in this world puts us into very different contexts and having very different experiences. And the gospel calls us to cross them in love. Not to wait till I have a good day when I have something to rejoice over and then seek out the brother or sister who's rejoicing and rejoice with them. But to take the hope of the gospel and to apply it to my pain in such a way that I can enter into this person's world and genuinely rejoice in the grace and the goodness of God as it's been expressed to them, knowing that that same grace and goodness is available to me. That's what the gospel calls us to do. And again, there's internal obstacles, right? 
to overcome this external obstacle of our disparity in experiences and context, we've got to overcome something in our hearts. The gospel has to overcome something in our hearts. I find myself jealous. Jealous of their good marriage. Jealous of their economic success or their possessions. Jealous of their house or their awards or their honor that they've received. Jealous of their comfort. Jealous of the good news that they have just received. I'm jealous of how God seems to be blessing them and how he seems to be sending every kind of trial my way. And the gospel says we are God's beloved. Infinitely and eternally and unchangeably loved. Do you remember that? Do you remember that chapter 8? All that God is doing and has, do, has done and will do for those who have been adopted in a love relationship with Him, we need to apply that truth to that jealousy. Or we're selfish. We're selfishly ambitious. And sometimes we're jealous and selfish at the same time. Sometimes we, we are the ones rejoicing. We are the ones who have this nice car or this nice house or we are the ones who are you know, experiencing a period of easy going and, and life is bright and good and we don't want anyone infringing on that. We don't want anyone taking away from that joy with the grief and the burden and the difficulty that they're bearing and so we distance ourselves from them. We keep ourselves away from them because we don't want that in our life. The gospel has taught us that there's something greater than our present experience. And that's the love of God in Jesus Christ. There's something more secure, infinitely more secure than just holding on to this moment. And that is having Jesus Christ hold on to us. And that gospel should free us from having to protect ourselves from difficulty in the world. God's got our back. Do you remember that chapter? Do you remember that chapter? Do you remember eight chapters of a glorious gospel that calls us to be able to cross these internal barriers, overcome them, and therefore cross the external barriers and rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep? Third obstacle, cultural and economic disparity in verse 16. Cultural and economic disparity. It says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And I think when he's saying live in harmony with one another, he's alluding to the tensions that existed in the church between Jews and Gentiles. He's been hammering on this since chapter 1. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And then what does it say? To the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Even as he thinks about the gospel, he can't think about it other than this, this message that reconciles Jews and Gentiles into one glorious body in Jesus Christ. The Jews and the Gentiles hated each other. They were enemies. They would have nothing to do with each other socially. There was a long history of wrongdoing on both sides, evils that they'd done against each other. There were significant cultural differences, the way they ate and fellowshiped, different values, different worldviews, different ways of dressing, different ways of relating socially. 
And not only was there racial and cultural tension, but there was economic tension. There were slaves and Roman citizens. And they were sitting together. Paul gives instructions to slaves and masters in Ephesians chapter 5. Can you imagine that? A master and a slave sitting together side by side in the pews as they listen to God's word. And the gospel calls them to cross all these barriers and to live in harmony and peace. When we try to serve Christ in relationships, these barriers of culture and um, economics and race and background and worldview are almost insurmountable. You seldom find the world managing to cross them. Do you realize that? As you look around in our world, the world around us, you see people, but they stick to their own kind. They stick to their own social grouping, their own level of economics and income. That's how the world deals with it because the barriers are just too great to cross. And sometimes we bring that into the church. It's so, so difficult to find a managing director and a laborer sitting side by side over lunch genuinely sharing their hearts with one another and caring for each other. Have you seen that? It's very, very rare. And yet, too, there's this internal obstacle that we must overcome to overcome these external obstacles, and it's pride and prejudice, not the book, the reality. This very real obstacles, pride, thinking and believing that we are better and that we know better, that our culture is superior, that because we have a degree or we drive a fancy car or we have our own office, uh, that we're fundamentally better than the person who has to walk to work or clean the toilets. And these two commands in verse 16, I think, address these attitudes. Do not be haughty. Do not be proud. Do not have this attitude, this internal mindset that's an obstacle to crossing these barriers that the gospel calls us to cross. Do not think that you're better than. Do not be wise in your own sight. Do not think that you know better and that you're living better than those people just because you smell better or smell different. That's what it's saying. I saw this clearly when I was uh, living, uh, studying, and working in the States uh, because we, um, uh, the seminary students were highly respected on the campus, and the, campus was on the, same, uh, the seminary was on the same campus as the church. And the seminary students all had to wear a suit and tie, so we stuck out like a sore thumb as we walked around. Um, I also worked as a janitor, basically, you know, setting our chairs, vacuuming carpets, cleaning toilets. Um, and the janitors had to wear a uniform, and we stuck out like a sore thumb. So I would go from classes in seminary, walk across to the change room, change into my janitor's uniform, and then go back to that same environment, the same rooms, and clean up the mess after everyone else, wearing a different uniform. I, I, I wasn't really mistreated, but I was certainly treated differently. I was surprised at how different the greetings were and the attitude was towards me. How often we were just ignored. How often we were given instructions as if we never had the capability to follow even basic English. You know how we do that sometimes? And 
I'm the same person. Nothing's changed but the clothes I'm wearing. But other people's view of me has changed. And that creates a barrier. And that pride and that prejudice goes both ways. I've been in the context where I'm the cultural minority and I don't want to go to this thing because I don't know the rules. I don't know how to behave. I don't know what's expected of me. I've been in that scenario where an event is being planned and, and, and it costs money and I don't have the money required and I'm too proud to even let anyone know. So I just don't go. And I find some reasons in my mind <clears throat> of how insensitive they are uh, to my condition. This pride and this prejudice goes both ways. And we don't want to invite people into my home. I've been in that scenario because, you know, my bed and my lounge are in the same room and my lounge consists of one couch and there's nowhere to sit. And so how can you have people in your home? These are the obstacles we need to overcome if we're going to cross these external obstacles. And the gospel says we are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. All men are created equal and we save by Jesus Christ by grace through faith in him alone and not in any goodness of our own and not any works or performance or degree or social or cultural value that is inherent in us the gospel is a complete leveler and so whether we find ourselves on the upside or the downside of these differences we can cross them because of Jesus Christ who crossed heaven to earth the greatest obstacle to reconcile earth to heaven. Fourth obstacle, wrongdoing, in verse 17 and 18. It says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And this alludes to the reality of sin. As we seek to move out in relationships and and build loving relationships for the glory of God and bring the gospel into those relationships, we're going to encounter the very thing that the gospel is for, and that is sin. We're going to encounter sin of all kinds and wrongdoing of all kinds. Every relationship in this world is characterized by sin and wrongdoing on both sides. There is no relationship other than what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, which is characterized by one-sided sin one-sided wrongdoing, us repeatedly doing wrong against God and God not holding that against us, but repeatedly reaching out in grace to reconcile us to himself. That's why the gospel calls us to move into these places where people sin against us, they gossip against us, they slander us, they judge our motives, they wrongly and insensitively confront us. People will sometimes steal from you. They'll waste your time. They'll damage your property. They'll hurt your feelings deliberately. People will do this. They will reject your children. They'll criticize your decisions. No relationship is going to survive unless we can apply the gospel to those realities. That is the reality of relationship in this world. And there's an internal obstacle that needs to be overcome by the gospel in our hearts in order to overcome the external obstacle of wrongdoing, bitterness and unforgiveness. But in our hearts, we harbor those hurts. We harbor that unforgiveness. And we don't apply the gospel, the God who forgave us, 
to make us willing to forgive. When we, sinned, when we are sinned against, we set about sinning back. We're going to do, or, you know, are we going to get them back? Or are we going to do what is right? That's what the text is asking us. Do what is right in the sight of all. Note the contrast there between verse 16 and 17. Do not be wise in your own sight. Do not do what is right in your own sight versus doing right in what is right in the sight of all. When we, when we are wrong, we find it very hard to be objective. We don't know what's right. We just know what we feel. But other people can see. And we build up this barrier of bitterness and unforgiveness that makes us want to get the other person back to get even, to pay them hurt for hurt, evil for evil. And only the gospel can remedy that. The gospel reminds us that we have sinned much and have been forgiven much. And we didn't deserve that forgiveness at all. And that's why Jesus could say in the Lord's Prayer, you know, forgive others even as your heavenly Father has forgiven you. It is not possible to withhold forgiveness and hold on to bitterness and anger in the heart and contemplate the gospel at the same time. It's not possible. When we harboring bitterness and unforgiveness, we are not thinking about the gospel. And that's why God puts us in a world and into relationships where that is the reality because it drives us as we find that hurt and we find that bitterness and anger building up. It drives us where? Back to the cross. It drives us back to the gospel to be reminded of the forgiveness we've received and to free us from that bitterness. Notice here what he says. Uh, in verse 18, if possible, so far it depends on you, live peaceably with all. In three ways, he's, he's expressing uncertainty here. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live it peaceably with all. It's not always possible. Sometimes you can do everything that is within your power to seek reconciliation, to seek peace, to pursue this person in love and forgiveness, and it doesn't result in reconciliation. That is the reality of relationships in this world. That is the reality. It's a two-way street. The text is urging us here, in this two-way street of relationships, make sure that the unforgiveness, that the obstacles, that, that the coldness of heart and the lack of love is not coming from you. Make sure that you continually offering to this person all that God has offered to you in the gospel. But accept that even such great grace offered will not always be returned with grace and forgiveness and reconciliation. And so we will go through this world where despite our best efforts, we will have broken relationships. And that should not lead us to withdraw and say, I'm not going to enter into any more. I'm not going to make the effort with this person. I'm not going to pursue that person just because it didn't always work out the way that I wanted it to with one particular scenario. Fifth obstacle that we're going to face as we move out in relationships is injustice. Injustice in verse 19 and 20. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. 
There's a second obstacle closely related to wrongdoing. But the second obstacle kicks in when the wrongs are not righted. When the sin is not dealt with but continues on and on and on. When the damage that's been done by this person doesn't seem to be fixed and, 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 and keeps spilling out into other people's lives, then there's something in us that rises up and says, I want justice. And it's not wholly wrong because God is a God of justice. And God is a God who will right all wrongs and he will even the scales and he will correct everything. So it's not altogether wrong, but what is the problem with that? Is what the text says in verse 19. Vengeance is mine. It is God's prerogative and God's prerogative alone to mete out justice. He alone is creator and owner of all people. He alone is sinless. He alone is just. He alone makes a right evaluation of exactly what this person needs and what they deserve. And he will meter that out according to his judgment at the right time in right measure. And we can never get that right because we are not God. And when we want justice and vengeance, when we try and, and inflict that justice in a way in the form of vengeance, we are putting ourselves in the place of God. We're making ourselves God. This is a major theme in so many movies and books, and I hope you've picked up on it. Vengeance. And in most of those movies, getting the vengeance, getting the revenge, getting the person back is glorified and honored as, a, as an amazing thing, a right thing. And, and, and you all you know, have a sigh of relief at the end of the book when justice is finally brought on this evildoer. But this text says that thinking is wrong. God is the one who brings justice. And unless we can accept that, we're going to go through this world messing up relationships as we seek to apply law rather than grace. Did you hear me? There's, a, there's an internal obstacle that we need to overcome in order to overcome this external obstacle. And the internal obstacle is we set ourselves up as judge and lawgiver. And then we demand of people that they fulfill our requirements, our laws, our expectations for this relationship, for their behavior. And sometimes those judgments are right, but they're coming from us. And then we inflict law and punishments upon them when they don't fulfill our sense of justice. In a word, we take dominion. In relationships, we try to take dominion over people. And dominion belongs to God and God alone. And so rather than becoming channels of grace that hold out grace and forgiveness, we become channels of law and justice and control. And that's not what the gospel calls us to in relationships. There's a lot of different interpretations there in verse 19 about the um, verse 20 to the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he's thirsty give him something to drink for in doing so you heap burning coals on his head different ideas there bottom line is this whenever you encounter that phrase burning coals in the Bible it's got a negative connotation and it's normally associated with God's judgment 
And that fits the context very well because the context, yeah, is speaking about vengeance and I will repay. And so I think, you know, this text is, is simply just reinforcing, listen, we must do good. We must return evil with good. We must feed. We must the hungry. We must give water to the thirsty. We must show hospitality to the wicked. And you say, how can we do that? Are we not supporting wrongdoing then? How can we be a part of that? How can we encourage this person that's so evil? Because that is our role. To be ministers of grace and mercy. To show people the grace and mercy of the gospel in very tangible ways. Because they'll either be won by that grace, by the extension of that grace, or they'll be ripe for judgment. That's what the gospel does. The gospel extends God's grace and mercy in Jesus Christ to sinners. And either they see that grace and that mercy and they lay hold of it and they receive the forgiveness that is in Jesus Christ, or they reject it and then they ripe for judgment. They deserve everything that is coming their way. And God says in relationships, we need to be extending grace to others. Now just stop for a moment and think about your lives. Think about these obstacles. Persecution, different context and experience, culture and economic disparity, wrongdoing, injustice. Think about all these internal obstacles. Jealousy, selfishness, envy, pride, prejudice, self-preservation, bitterness and unforgiveness. And you can understand why the world is broken. This is where Romans began, didn't it? This is where Romans started out. There is not a single person in this room that has not experienced the brokenness of relationships because of these obstacles, internal and external. Not a single one of you here doesn't have that pain. It might be extended family. It might be a spouse. It might be a child, it might be a friend, it might be a work colleague. Every single one of you that can hear my voice that's sitting here knows the pain that sin brings into relationships. And every one of you have struggled with some of these internal obstacles. Every one of you have wanted to give up and withdraw. And every one of you have sometimes decided to do that. And COVID is just exacerbating that. COVID is driving us further and further into our little world and people are becoming divided about things that I never thought would divide before. In the last year, the number of difficult conversations and emails and messages I've had, people have just got so much built-up anger. And there's so much division in our world. Churches splitting about mask-wearing. And vaccinations. We're not going to have anything to do with these people because they have a different conviction about some medical procedure. That's what's happening in our world. It's becoming increasingly polarized. 
And the gospel says God sent his son and Jesus left the comforts of heaven on a mission to reconcile sinners to himself. And he went the way of the cross and when he was reviled, he did not revile. And when he was falsely accused, he did not defend himself. But as 1 Peter 3 says, he kept entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And Jesus came on a mission to reconcile men to God and men to one another. Remember how Romans started? We were all, the whole world, full of all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. Do you hear about how this has got to do with relationships? Full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Do you hear how this has got to do with relationships? They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God. Do you hear how this has got to do with relationships? Broken because of sin. And it goes on to say in Romans 3, their mouths are full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is the problem that the book of Romans sets out before us. That the gospel goes on to address. It makes sense then that when we come to the application of the gospel in Romans chapter 12, what is the gospel going to call us to address? The brokenness of our world and our relationships. Let this just sink in for a moment. Romans 1 to 11 is basically the explanation of the gospel and its implications. And Romans 12 to 16 is the application of the gospel. Every chapter has to do with sowing peace in some form or another. Every chapter. Every chapter that seeks to apply the gospel in the letter to Romans applies it to the issue of relationships. Just look in your Bibles, Romans 13. Let every person, verse 1, be subject to the governing authorities, sowing peace in relation to authority. Verse 8, owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed in up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 14, 1. As for the one who's weak in the faith, welcome him not to quarrel over opinions, sowing peace in relation to those with different convictions. Romans 15.1 We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. It goes on to say in verse 5, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Reconciliation, peace, sowing peace in the midst of diversity. Romans chapter 16, verse 17 and 18 I appeal to you as he closes out his letter, brothers, watch out for those who do what? Cause divisions. 
and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. What is contrary to the gospel? Divisions. What characterizes your life, your family, your relationships? What characterizes the church? Divisions. And the gospel calls us to a different way. And it gives us the power to be different. The gospel gives us a sword, a healing balm, a sword to do battle, not against other people. Because if we think we're going to move out in relationships and create peace without war, we're wrong. Listen to me. The gospel calls us to war. It calls us to war in order to establish peace. War not against people, but against the sin that causes division. The sin out there, but the sin in here most specifically. The sin in my own heart that causes me to break relationships with people. Christ is calling you to establish peace, to be a peacemaker, a peace sower. And he's given you the only weapon that's powerful enough to do that. And it is the gospel applied to your own heart and then brought into the relationships. So may I encourage you, let's leave the comfort and the safety of our little bubbles and the isolation and let's carry the gospel with us into the pain and into the brokenness and into the difficulty that we find ourselves in in all these manifold different kinds of relationships and let us carry the gospel there and apply its healing balm so that Jesus might be honored in our lives and that the gospel might be adorned in our relationships. Let the glory of God shine in the darkness and the pain and the suffering that you encounter in these very real relationships so that people can see his glory.